0: Welcome to the Dhamma Podcast. The audio content that follows is from a talk given by Vivian Snyder at the 1999 Insights from an Ancient Tradition Conference. The talk is entitled, Different Kinds of Minds, the Relevance of Vipassana Meditation to Learning Disabilities and Attention Deficit Disorder. The Dhamma Podcast will be updated monthly with additional archives from Essenguenka's talks, question and answer sessions, as well as other speakers discussing aspects of Vipassana meditation as taught by Essenguenka. This podcast is sponsored by Pariyati a non-profit publisher that offers written, audio, and video content, and whose mission is to enrich the world by disseminating the words of the Buddha, providing sustenance to the seeker's journey, and illuminating the meditator's path. For more information regarding Pariyati, please go to www.pariyati.org. That is .org. For more information on Vipassana meditation, including a schedule of courses offered throughout the world, please see www.dhamma.org. That is www.dhamma.org.
1: This afternoon, we have an opportunity to think together about different kinds of minds. Specifically, we'll explore how and why the practice of Vipassana meditation is important to people with learning and attention problems. Can people with attention deficit disorder and learning disabilities benefit from Vipassana meditation? After all, how can you concentrate when your problem is that you can't concentrate? Can a hyperactive body sit quietly? Can a wild mind calm itself down? Can deep, even very deep habit patterns begin to change? even though that changing may be the exact thing you instinctively want to avoid? Is it worth the effort to try? Can the practice of Vipassana meditation be grasped by people with normal intelligence, who have attention and learning problems, people with different kinds of minds, and can they benefit? Well, the overall answer is yes, but each person's background, experience, challenges, and progress are different. Recently, as a result of hearing about this conference, the Vipassana students with various degrees of learning and attention problems have contacted me. One student who describes herself at the extreme end of the scale at her worst times, and who's been working with this technique for several years, said, At times, I have incredible difficulty with doing it, but through experience I realize that every little bit I achieve is in fact incredibly beneficial. So that is why I persevere, because the results are there. Others echoed both the difficulties and the benefits and emphasized the importance of small steps that I'll be returning to as we go on. There can be very concrete benefits, and they can come in two ways. One is with symptoms, such as impulsiveness and distractibility. The other benefits reach deeper, inside, and down to the source of the real agitation, the suffering. And this, of course, applies to all of us, all people with all kinds of minds. Attention deficit disorder is often called ADD, as well as ADHD, which specifically is attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. While the adult who continually flits around the room and is never still is truly unusual and an exception, Most adults with attention deficits do in fact demonstrate motor overactivity in the form of some restlessness and fidgeting. One adult with ADD said, everyone fidgets. I fidget a lot more. Everyone gets bored. I get bored more easily and more often. Both terms, ADD and ADHD are frequently used, but for today I'll refer to this collection of characteristics as ADD which is commonly used. When talking about Vipassana meditation, as you well know by now, I'm referring very specifically to this practice as taught by S. N. Goenka in the tradition of his teacher, Ba Khin. It's been said, while most of us, most adults, think we want to hear and learn new ideas, we actually want our information quick and simple, and in fact, really only want to learn what we already know. Many of you know about Vipassana meditation from your own experience, from your own practicing. Many of you here, some of you I know haven't. And many of you are mental health professionals who are familiar with attention and learning disorders. But there is some confusion about what attention deficit and what learning disabilities really are and are not. So in the first part of this discussion, I'm going to take the time to lay out in some detail what is meant by these concepts some definitions, the current popularity and prevalence, possible causes and common symptoms and associated difficulties. Then with this common understanding, we'll examine how the practice of Vipassana meditation applies to certain particular difficulties and characteristics associated with ADD and learning disabilities, and very specifically how and why Vipassana gives us very practical benefits. As an educational therapist in private practice, I have the opportunity to see many children and adults with learning disabilities and ADD. My own private practice consists primarily these days of diagnostic evaluations for learning disabilities. I do not diagnose for ADD, but I often screen for it. And as part of a learning disabilities evaluation, I then refer to appropriate clinicians. As a teacher of Vipassana, I frequently see the special difficulties of people with attention deficit and learning disorders." A Vipassana student with ADD said, "'Living in the world of ADD is like being stuck at the end of a long, dark tunnel. You feel trapped. People don't understand you. Nothing is easy, and the solution is hard to see.' With a Vipassana practice, I am learning, though it is a long, hard climb up, not to focus so much attention on my disorder or my problems, but instead on my own experience and its constantly changing nature," she explained. Now, most of the people I know with learning disabilities or ADD are children or quite successful adults. However, in the process of introducing Vipassana to people in jails and teaching the women's course there, it's been become clear that an unusually high percentage of incarcerated men and women have difficulty with attention and learning, and I'll refer back to that. Lucia Major, who is the administrator of the Seattle Jail, which now has held eight 10-day Vipassana courses, off-the-cuff estimated that about a third of the North Regional Facility residents have significant attentional problems that interfere with their ability to function by mainstream standards. Other jail administrators have estimated a third to one-half of the population. Since I know that some of you work in prisons or are especially interested in the effects of Vipassana with these populations, from time to time, I'll refer to the special issues that people have in prison who also have learning and attention problems. There's nothing new about this 2,500-year-old spiritual and ethical practice of vipassana. Yet in the past few decades, interest, credibility, participation, and public acceptance of vipassana meditation is growing here in the United States and throughout the world. And it's rapidly increasing year by year. Attention deficit disorder and learning disabilities are not new either, yet they've recently been making headlines. ADD is a hidden disorder. It doesn't show on the outside. For adults, the actual symptoms of ADD, impulsivity, overactivity, and inattention, are often obscured by problems with relationships, staying organized, or holding a job. And in fact, most of the adults with ADD who've contacted me, because they're also Vipassana meditators, have primarily talked about social and relationship problems, not their difficulty with concentration when it comes to what troubles them the most. Adults with ADD do have higher accident rates and more difficulty with drug abuse and antisocial behavior. There is no single ADD personality profile. Some people with ADD can concentrate if they're interested or excited, while others have difficulty concentrating under any circumstances. Some people avidly avoid stimulation, while others seek it. Some people become ardent people-pleasers, while others are oppositional or have difficulty with appropriate social behavior. Adults with ADD often describe some degree of problems with several of the following behaviors. Understand that no single one of these means ADD. We all have many of these. A diagnosis requires a combination of several, with intensity and duration in various settings. And these characteristics include distractibility, disorganization, restlessness, forgetfulness, chronic lateness, losing things, chronic boredom, learning difficulties, mood swings, risk-taking, relationship problems, low self-esteem, drug abuse, difficulty following instructions, frequent shifting from one incompleted activity to the other, and excessive talking. So I guess that's all of us. (laughs) One student said, I get foot and mouth disease. I often say something and I'm sorry I said it before I finish. I answer a question before the person finishes asking it. I interrupt conversations and blurt out thoughts which usually escape right out of the mouth, whether it is polite, hurtful, or the right thing to say. Now, learning disabilities are also often referred to as a hidden handicap because also there's no outward appearances of the disability. One way to think of learning disabilities is that people with normal vision and hearing can misinterpret everyday sights and sounds. We can say there are learning disabilities if there is an uneven pattern of development and a significant discrepancy between aptitude and ability in one or more area of perceptual processing, such as visual, auditory, or motor. People with learning disabilities often feel different, and in fact, they are different in some important ways which do not show on the outside because they perceive the world differently and they process information more laboriously and more slowly. This affects self-image, this affects attention and focus, and this affects social interactions, and this also affects behavior, as much if not more than those areas most commonly associated with learning disabilities, such as spelling or reading accuracy and speed. If you imagine yourself trying to thread a needle with a pair of extra-thick rubber gloves on, you'll come close to the feeling of a person whose hands don't work when they try to hold a pencil and write. Or try to recall a name or a fact that you know you know, but you just can't pull it out of your brain at that moment. Try it while someone is stating firmly that if you only tried harder, you could do it. No wonder children with learning disabilities become the funny guy in class or cry easily or become withdrawn and are simply not fully present. Sometimes he would rather be called bad than dumb. So even as a child, he covers up by laughing at adults saying, this work is stupid or boring when you really can't do it. Or on the other hand, she might present herself as sweet and kind and considerate, overly conscientious. Whatever the outside cover, the inside is often hurting or numb. Often these children and later adults feel frantic inside and rarely experience patient intolerance and get overwhelmed easily. Although they don't show on the outside, difficulties with visual or auditory perception, with shorter long-term memory, or with organizing and integrating thoughts can complicate simple tasks of everyday living that others do automatically and take for granted. And in explaining learning disabilities to parents, I often use the analogy of automatically because things that most people can do without putting conscious effort into them might take conscious effort for somebody with these difficulties. <clears throat> now, although they're not, these difficulties may not be apparent on the outside, as you probably all know, They certainly are becoming more and more well-known, and they've recently even been making headlines. Both ADD and learning disabilities are now frequently in popular news magazines and are on TV and receiving a lot of interest, public and private funding, and attention. And even three days ago, there were the headlines in the newspapers and on CNN. Um, The subject was um, children possibly receiving too much medication, being overly diagnosed for ADD and that's one common area of popularity and interest. It's true, more and more children and more adults are getting diagnosed with attention deficit disorder or learning disabilities. This means that more students applying for Vipassana courses, and that's including but not at all limited to students in jails, have these difficulties. To give some examples of the current increases here in the United States, Newsweek magazine recently suggested that there might be an epidemic in diagnosis for learning disabilities. More than 2.5 million children in American schools are currently in publicly funded learning disability programs. That's around 4.5% of the nation's students. Other researchers are now estimating that as many as 6% to 15% of school children may have some neurological deficits that make it hard for them to master basic academic skills while in school. And it's estimated that about 6 million adults here in the United States have learning disabilities. The exact prevalence of ADD in adults here in the United States is not yet known. The estimates go generally 3 to 5%, and I've heard as much as 10%, <clears throat> of children here in the United States schools that are considered to have ADD. And of these, about two-thirds continue to have behavioral symptoms in adolescents and about a third to a half of these adolescents continue to have symptoms of ADD during their adult years. A recent study estimated that about 5 million adults and children in the United States have attention deficit disorder. The use of amphetamine-based psychostimulants, and Ritalin is the most common, has increased close to 700% since 1993, and it is increasing. Its primary use is to treat adults and children with ADD and ADHD. The national public school expenditure on behalf of these students with ADD has exceeded $3 billion in the last three years. Now, maybe one reason for the increase in prevalence, because that's a question that's always asked, and we can get back to that later, is that the pace of our society is so hard to keep up with. Most eight-year-olds today are familiar with language terms that didn't even exist a few years ago. These concepts reflect the country's incredible technology, you know, words like cell phones and software, internet and digital, sound bites, megabytes, bits and chips that are just common words. But there does seem to be something wrong with this rapidly paced consumer and mechanical culture. There's also the new language of generation gap, latchkey kids. Crack and speed, road rage and DUIs, PTSD and ADD. Most people I know, their daily lives are trying to beat the clock. We take time, save time, invest time, borrow time, charge time, steal time, waste time, race against time, and fear that we will lose time. The additional neurological problems of ADD and learning disabilities make it especially hard for people with these difficulties to organize themselves in a hurry. Now in a 10-day Vipassana course, as you know, as many of you here know, finally there is enough time to just be and to live as much as possible in the present time. Practicing Vipassana is very low-tech. There's no special (laughs) equipment or clothing is needed. And once at the course site, you don't go anywhere. You don't have to be better than you are. You don't have to try harder. And you don't have to do anything faster. In a secluded and peaceful place, without email, TV, news, music, reading or talking, the students' basic needs are cared for. And with nothing external to push against or to cling to, the participants are able to get quieter, more honest with themselves, and to deepen and grow in ethical principles, concentration, and the wisdom that comes from personal experience. The language that we use to discuss these difficulties can be problematic. No one wants to be limited by unnecessary labels, yet even to talk now, we need a commonality of terms so that we can be clear about what we're discussing. In this tradition, stories are often told, so here's a story. After living in Israel, a woman returned to the United States with her dog, Max. To practice training, she brought him to the park every afternoon and went over some commands. Now, since Max was born in Israel, he understood only Hebrew directives. <laughs> Several children watched his performance as he followed orders of ruts for run, Shev for sit, and Tenyad, for shake hands. One day, after seeing that Max was indeed friendly, a boy had the courage to approach. Instead of petting him, however, he turned to the owner and said, hey, lady, where did you learn dog language? (laughs) So as I try to further clarify some of these concepts... I'll use people language as much as possible, even with its limitations. While at least the terms attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and attention deficit disorder are generally accepted, that's not the case with learning disabilities. They're called many things, including minimum brain dysfunction, learning differences, learning difficulties, dyslexia, special learning needs, and learning disorders. More than once I've had parents say to me, sort of proudly, well, the school says my child has dyslexia or learning disabilities, but I think he's just right-brained and very special for that, and they just don't understand him. So these terms do get used and misused very often. Another story. Once upon a time in another place, there was a baby elephant who heard someone say, look, there's a mouse. Now, the person who said it was looking at a mouse, but the baby elephant thought he was referring to him. Now, there were very few mice in that country, and in any case, they tended to stay in their holes, and their voices were not very loud. But the baby elephant thundered around, ecstatic at his discovery. I am a mouse. He said it so loudly and so often, and to so many people that, believe it or not, There's now an entire country where almost everyone believes that elephants, and particularly baby elephants, are mice. We don't want to turn baby elephants into mice, but in order to understand the special relevance of Vipassana to learning disabilities in ADD, it will be helpful to understand more about their causes and symptoms. As far as causes, little is currently definitely known about the causes for learning disabilities and therefore about the increase in prevalence. Unquestionably, there's a very significant genetic factor, and that is most important. And of course, we're better at diagnosing and at treating these difficulties, and therefore at identifying them. Other contributing possibilities include difficulties before birth, premature births, low birth weights, head injuries, drug and alcohol use during pregnancy, and certain illnesses. Now, research is continuing to study and investigate certain outside factors, but they haven't been conclusive, scientifically conclusive about environmental elements like air pollutants, allergy, and food additives. And also for ADD, the exact causes are not conclusively known. And again, scientific evidence strongly suggests that in many cases, the disorder is genetically transmitted. It seems to be caused by an imbalance or deficiency in certain chemicals that regulate the efficiency with which the brain controls behavior. And a study in 1990 at the Institute of Mental Health, the National Institute of Mental Health, correlated ADD with a series of metabolic abnormalities in the brain, adding further evidence that it is indeed a neurobiological disorder like learning disabilities, problems in prenatal development, birth complications, and later neurological damage can contribute to ADD. And at present, there's also little scientific evidence to suggest that environmental factors, dietary factors like food, dyes, or sugar, inner ear problems, or visual motor problems are the underlying causes. Both learning disabilities and ADD are not isolated disorders. They're often intertwined with each other and with other conditions. For example, people who have ADD might have oppositional and defiant disorder, 60%, anxiety disorder, 20 to 30%, or conduct disorder, about 35%. And between 80 to 92% of people diagnosed with ADD have coexisting learning problems and the opposite, more than 30% of people with learning disabilities have some significant attention problems. Statistically, populations in prisons and jails are twice as likely to have learning problems as the general population. And those of you working in prisons and jails probably will understand that right away. A study in Texas and another in Sweden showed that 50% to 80% of all prison inmates are are functionally illiterate, and that doesn't mean that they can't read, but their reading and math ability is below a sixth grade level. It's important to understand that most people with ADD and learning disabilities are normal and successful members of society. And most studies don't show a correlation with intelligence. In fact, some research shows that some people with learning disabilities tend to have higher than average aptitude for multi-dimensional perceptions and conceptualization. And Albert Einstein is a favorite example, as well as Thomas Edison and Leonardo da Vinci. And people with ADD also are sometimes quite strong at lateral problem-solving. One Vipassana student with ADD described very good and persistent negotiating skills, which have come in handy in business, as well, as she said, when bargaining for great deals in India. Both learning and attention difficulties should be understood and thought of as spectrums, as within a range which everyone fits into at some times and in some ways. We all forget our car keys and sometimes our cars. <laughs> <laughs> and because most of us have experienced difficulty with learning and with attention in some situations, it helps us empathize because we too have experienced it ourselves. It's not something that is, happens to other people. Well then, is ADD real? Does no one have it? Does everyone have it? How can you tell, and what can you tell? Is it just a current popular fad? Is it an excuse for insufficient discipline, or for not trying harder, or for not controlling one's behavior, or one's impulses better? ADD is controversial, but it is very real, and it is not intentional. In fact, many professionals who treat ADD feel that it is actually underdiagnosed in adults, and that's in spite of all the popularity of the news of it being overly diagnosed and overly medicated for children. The major controversy does continue to be the use of psychostimulant drugs for both short-term and long-term treatment, especially for children. And one reason for questioning its validity is that there's not an independent, valid test for ADD. This is not unique, as you mental health professionals know, but applies to most psychiatric disorders. And some people feel that the diagnosis, especially for children, is somewhat subjective based on uh, the environment they're in, a teacher who perhaps uh, finds children too noisy, and the children do get overly medicated because of that. But regardless of the causes, of the diagnosis, the exact configuration of symptoms, and whether in or out of prison. People with learning disabilities and ADD tend to have more impulsiveness, more distractibility, more insatiable craving, and more agitation. These cause physical and mental discomfort, painful experiences, sometimes constant or intermittent, sometimes mild or intense, sometimes conscious or unconscious. Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, knew that these discomforts, along with all the others that we humans experience, was suffering. From practicing Vipassana, we understand by our own experience that all people have discomforts and are suffering. Now, the suffering, whatever it's caused by, seems to be primarily caused by diseases or disabilities or disorders, by other people and events, by external situations. But the deeper truth, the reality, is quite different. The depth of the suffering, the root of it, is not outside. It's from grasping in an effort to hold on to what is ephemeral and from reacting with craving and aversion to our own sensations, usually without realizing we're doing that and then blaming outside situations, people, events, and circumstances for our pain. The circumstances could be anything, including being in jail, relationship or money concerns, or learning disabilities, or ADD. But the importance of a Vipassana practice is that it allows us to go to the root of the problem. And in addition, which I'll be discussing in a moment, Vipassana does have tremendous and direct applicability specifically to the behavioral manifestations of learning disabilities and ADD. It is not at all an oxymoron to suggest that even though someone can't and sometimes doesn't at all feel like they want to pay attention, still, they really can become less agitated and can become more attentive. It happens by learning and practicing, at least to some degree, to pay attention to what is the root of the distraction in the first place, which is actually inside. This is how it works. The constant frustrations and failures, the uncontrolled impulses, the self-deprecation and the low self-esteem experienced by people with ADD or learning disabilities are accompanied by physical sensations. The depth of the real suffering is reached only by learning to observe these sensations with some objectivity, some detachment, and with an understanding that they will change. They, in fact, are changing. It's this understanding of impermanence that is effective, and it's effective because it is personally, subjectively experienced, and it's based on awareness and on equanimity with this. So when you really get down to it, suffering that seems to be caused by low self-esteem or by poor grades or irritability or insecurity or frustration, it really comes back to negativity about what we're feeling and don't want to experience. Or it can be grasping, trying to hold on to what is and always will be constantly changing or to craving for whatever it is we're not experiencing. Of course, these aversions and cravings manifest as particular types of difficulties. And most likely, we've all had some of the symptoms and characteristics of ADD and learning disabilities, at least to some extent. But for people with ADD or learning difficulties, they occur more frequently in more settings for longer periods of time and to a greater degree. Practicing Vipassana has been especially helpful for these people in some very direct ways. Yet I'm certainly not suggesting or recommending Vipassana as the primary intervention for ADD or learning disabilities instead of educational remediation or behavior strategies or even pharmacology when necessary. That would be irresponsible. And nor would I suggest that students set a goal of replacing their prescribed medication with Vipassana meditation. That would not be a proper goal. The sample of Vipassana students with ADD who I've been in contact with and who are continuing to practice Vipassana seem to have all the following four possibilities for medication use as well as their own meditation practice. Some after practicing Vipassana for several years actually began to take medication and they've continued with it or sometimes they're on and off the medication. And some took medication prior to Vipassana and they've continued. Some have discontinued medication. Perhaps, but this is not absolutely clear, fully or partly due to the meditation practice. And some have never taken medication. So that's, that's not the issue that's the point. It should be understood that Vipassana is helpful on many levels for people with ADD and learning disabilities. A Vipassana practice can reach deeper and farther than the behavioral manifestations that we've been talking about. And yet, it's been specifically helpful, and it does also address many of these symptoms of these difficulties. And I'm going to discuss those in a moment. Now, the list of characteristics and symptoms is not listed, is not limited to the ones that we're going to discuss now, Uh, of course. But they're going to serve as examples for understanding the practicality and the relevance of Vipassana meditation to certain specific behaviors, common to people with ADD and learning disabilities. Let's start with distractibility. Almost everyone has experienced some difficulty with attention and focus. In fact, almost everyone has an attention problem sometimes. When we practice meditation, and those of you who have been probably know this, we get to know this distractibility well. Like Sam from Dr. Zeus's Green Eggs and Ham, we see ourselves liking, disliking, first this way, then that way. I do not like it in a boat. I do not like it with a goat. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not like them, Sam I am. But our mind doesn't take no for an answer. We're trying to sit and get it quiet, and it says, well, uh, would you like it on a dish? (laughs) would you like it with a fish? And still, not taking no for an answer, our mind keeps trying. To bring us away, well, how would you like it in the park? Or would you, could you in the dark? How about in the rain, or on a train, or in a house, or with a mouse, or in a box, or with a fox? Endless. With or without ADD, as Dr. Zeus seemed to have understood, the mind can be very noisy. In another illustration of the noise, in Horton Hears a Who, again by Dr. Zeus. They rattle tin kettles, they beat on brass pans, on garbage pail tops and old cranberry cans. They blew on bazookas and blasted great toots, on clarinets, umpas and boompahs and flutes. Sometimes, even when it is externally very quiet, the umpas and boompahs in our minds continue to distract us. 2,500 years ago, before there was ADD, Siddhartha Gautama, the Buddha, understood distractibility and agitation so well. And this is how he described that condition of the mind. The mind is excitable and unsteady. The mind is very difficult to control, very difficult to observe, very delicate and subtle. Swiftly and lightly, it moves and lands wherever it pleases. And he compared an agitated mind to a fish which is quivering when taken out of its watery home and thrown onto dry ground. At times, the noisy mind can manifest distractibility, and that is paying attention to everything, or short attention span, and that's difficulty focusing and maintaining attention on anything, especially the task at hand. The distractions can be external, things you see or hear on the outside, or they can be internal, self-distractions, well-known to those of us who have sat long hours in very quiet surroundings, witnesses to our own noisy minds. Highly distractible people find it very hard to focus their attention and energies because they're constantly diverted by the visual, auditory, or social stimuli in the environment. When practicing Anapana meditation, the concentration technique of focusing attention on one's own breathing and the accompanying sensations The student learns to face and to improve the tendency toward distractibility in several direct and important ways. By practicing concentration repetitively, you do get better at it. Also, the repetitive practicing interrupts the habit pattern of constant distractions and reacting to them. And in addition, the meditator experiences some peace of mind, some quietness and calmness, which can at times be returned to. One Vipassana meditator with severe distraction and severe attention difficulties described a successful experience with the Vipassana practice. I remember once, just once, when I had a total concentration on my breath and then on sensations. A thought might enter the mind, but I had no interest in it, and it would just disappear. Of course, it never happened again to that degree. And this person then described realizing that within me, even if it is not always available, there is a state of being that is at peace and capable of being perfectly focused. I think we cannot overestimate the tremendous motivation and inspiration that comes with breaking the flow of distractibility, just interrupting those habit patterns, knowing that something is possible some inner peacefulness, that it's not just theoretically possible, but it's been personally experienced and is indeed a familiar state, and that means there's every likelihood that one will experience it again. People with ADD and learning disabilities often find that distractibility is frequently combined with a low frustration level. There can be severe reactions to even simple exposures to frustration or ordinary failures and disappointments. A Vipassana student with ADD expressed it as, something distracts you, and so you need to react. Otherwise, the frustration grows to an intolerable level. And this student spoke of the help from a Vipassana practice by becoming aware of what the frustration actually feels like at the level of bodily sensations. By practicing Vipassana, she said, I'm learning to be more self aware of my inner experiences. This is chronically difficult for me because there's constant agitation within, which I've been plagued with all my life, and I'm in the habit of avoiding close up. Practicing vipassana is particularly helpful for a low tolerance for frustration because it gives the meditator a tool to learn to become more relaxed and detached from the agitation. The slow but steady development of equanimity allows one to experience the frustration and to bear it and to see that it it is indeed possible to tolerate it. Another common characteristic is insatiability. People who are insatiable demand immediate gratification. This is common for people with ADD as well as learning disabilities, and as children, We sometimes refer to them as the MNM kids, me, now, more. They're not able or willing to work a task slowly or gradually. They can be extraordinarily persistent in regard to their needs and often appear to be distracted by their constant appetite for things and attention. They tend to be very future-oriented and are chronically restless. They have little tolerance for boredom and will often stir up trouble or at least excitement to avoid boredom and to create a a significant level of intensity. They have a perpetual hunger for new and novel activities. I just want to get on with it, said one person with ADD who also practices Vipassana meditation. I can't imagine sitting on the trust of of a meditation center where problems are discussed constantly and patience is required to listen to everybody's views and to work toward consensus. ADDers cannot tolerate having to wait to speak by putting up our hands. She said that practicing Vipassana has helped her. I still have an automatic aversion, she said, to sitting down and working out solutions, but I can work with it better and I can work better with others now. I still find working on my own much easier than the discussion process, but at least I'm able to be more patient and more tolerant of the process now. I think we are sometimes all M&M kids, although the degree, the intensity, and the duration are indeed far more for people with ADD. We all crave what's pleasant, and we crave to stop whatever is not pleasant. By practicing Vipassana, we gradually understand that we are actually responding to our own sensations of craving and that, in fact, we're quite addicted to them. It's, the same, it's within the same spectrum as people who are addicted to drugs or alcohol. And as you know, many people out of jail and in jails are addicted to these substances. One question we ask when we're interviewing potential jail residents for a 10-day course is, what's the longest period in your adult life when you've not been in jail, that you haven't used drugs? And the answer is very often, not at all, or just a very, very short time. When practicing Vipassana, students become more aware of what they're experiencing, and therefore of their addictive cravings. Sometimes people become worried. Quite a few of the jail residents with histories of major drug use have said something like this. I thought I was all over my addiction. After all, I've been here in jail for six months, and I haven't been using. And now, during this meditation course that I'm taking, I'm going through it all over again, wanting drugs, picturing myself using them. Is this meditation making me addicted all over again? And they become quite worried. The teachers can reassure them that as unpleasant as it is, as frightening as it may be, it is actually a good thing that they're experiencing the cravings. They were there all along, just under the surface, waiting to pop up again when the person was again in their old environment. Vipassana works the same way for all addictions, all cravings, whether for drugs, excitement, or any of the other difficulties experienced by people with attention and learning difficulties. Insatiability, seeking excitement and newness, and habit patterns, of distractibility are also addictions. At the seminar on Vipassana for relief from addictions and better health in India, S. N. Goenka, our teacher, said, when we talk of addiction, it's not merely to alcohol or to drugs, but also to passion, to anger, to fear, to egotism. These are all addictions. And he clarifies that the addiction, the insatiability, the craving, is actually to a particular sensation that has arisen because of a biochemical flow, a biochemical reaction that comes with the anger or the fear or the depression, anxiety, or craving. These habit patterns of craving, these insatiable longings, are very deep. They lie at the root of the mind, and mind and matter are so interrelated that they keep influencing each other. Gerhard Schulz and Urban Studer we will be discussing drug addictions more tomorrow morning when they talk about integrating Vipassana meditation and professional addiction therapy. Another associated symptom that often goes along with learning disabilities and ADD, and you don't have to have them also to have this, is certainly low self-esteem. People with attention and learning problems are often convinced that there is something terribly wrong with them. The way they take in information from the world around them and the way they try to express it can make them feel isolated or even incompetent, but most of all, wrong and guilty. As children, and often as adults, they tend to get negative feedback. A recent study of ADD children at camp, the kind where uh, every five minutes somebody monitors uh, people's reactions, found that children with ADD at the summer camp were several hundred times more likely to be perceived by their peers in a negative way. And they often do it to themselves. People with learning disabilities and ADD tend to turn even positive statements and praise into negative ones, and they often don't believe whatever positive feedback they do get about themselves. Sometimes this negative self-image is mixed with a non-caring, don't worry about the consequences, live life by the minute attitude a false bravado. And for others, there's a very obvious lack of social and personal confidence, a sadness, a depression, or self-imposed isolation. Sometimes a diagnosis can be very helpful. As one 10-year-old boy wrote in a letter to his diagnosing psychiatrist, he said, I was scared you would give me shots or do a brain operation on me or tell my parents that I was a total severe dummy. But instead, you told, us about, you told us about my attention deficit. Now that I know about it, I can do something about it. And even though I do bad things sometimes, I'm not as bad as I thought. Now, Vipassana is a wonderful thing to do. While it does not provide a quick fix or easy answer for deep problems, including low self-esteem, here are some ways it helps. By practicing Vipassana, the student learns not to elaborate on negativity, or to cling to failure or defeat, and not to turn painful experiences in on him or, her, or on him or herself. People learn to take full responsibility for their actions, and with practice gain a tool to develop the strength and the equanimity to do just that, and this helps self-esteem. One student of Vipassana with ADD expressed it in a way that we've also heard so many times from students in jail. Maybe what attracts me so much to Vipassana is that it's acceptable to acknowledge the negative with the positive intention of coming out of your negativity. And he said that in my first course, for the first time in my life, I acknowledged that it was me that was the problem instead of blaming everyone else. This is possibly the most major area in my life where practicing Vipassana has made an improvement. And this comment, in one way or another, is the one most commonly heard at the end of a 10-day Vipassana course in jail. Other than, thank goodness. (laughs) Vipassana's ethical basis also helps with guilt. Many years ago, in a social situation, I heard a woman say, I always feel guilty. And her friend gently replied, yes, I know, because I used to always feel guilty, too. And then I stopped doing things that went against my own sense of moral integrity, and I stopped feeling guilty. And I thought that was wonderful advice, and I decided to follow it immediately and forever. But it was not that easy. I've since learned that few of us can alter our thoughts, speech, actions, and behavior by a mere act of will, not by control. The overwhelming majority need some stepping stones to help cross over the rough currents and the slippery rocks of greed and hatred. And some of us need really good walking sticks and hiking boots with sturdy soles that give us a grip, provide some stability, and help us stay grounded, too. And the ground under our feet, the foundation for practicing Vipassana meditation, is moral discipline in the form of following basic precepts. Now, these precepts are not commandments imposed from the outside. Instead, they're principles of training that each meditator takes on him or herself through their own initiative. The precepts are formulated with the idea of using oneself as the criterion for determining how to act in relation to others, with an understanding that other people are basically similar to ourselves. this self-discipline helps with the development of a healthy ability to concentrate, and a clear conscience also lessens unnecessary suffering from tension, uneasiness, and guilt. Another common behavioral manifestation experienced by people with both learning and attention problems is impulsiveness. A person with ADD and learning disabilities described how the impulsivity affected him socially. I can talk incessantly about irrelevant topics, he said, going off at tangents, which of course seemed hysterically funny to me, or amazingly interesting, but it excludes everyone else, and it's no longer a conversation. Until quite recently, ADD was either considered bad behavior or completely out of the person's control. But very recently, the understanding of ADD and ADHD has become much clearer. Current neurological research on ADD is also very relevant to the practice of Vipassana meditation. Dr. Russell A. Barkley, who's very highly respected and well-known for research and writing on ADD, has recently redefined ADD. He has shown that the ability to delay one's response to external stimuli permits the development of the executive function allowed in self-control. Now, this is important, because now we're not talking about fixed neurological conditions, about bad behavior or labels. We're understanding that this disorder, this attention problem, has to do with difficulty delaying one's response to external stimuli. Learning to do this better at a deeper level results in increased self-control in outward behavior, and some reduction in impulsivity. So the implication for practicing Vipassana for people with attention problems becomes profoundly clear. Now, of course, since the experience of meditating is very personal and experiential, it is best understood only by the person doing the actual practice and having the experience. But I think some examples and illustrations will give a sense of how Vipassana can affect impulse control. The key is interruption. Interrupting the wandering mind when it is wandering, or in a daydream, or interrupting the urge to act on an impulse. The interruption occurs when conscious attention and effort is made to return to the present moment by paying as much attention as possible, focusing attention on the breath or on the physical sensations within the body. The interruption works like this. Have you ever been irritated or frustrated with a small child or perhaps even a pet? And just as you're about to express your anger, or even as you are doing it, the child says or does something that is so funny or so cute that you break out laughing. And then for a moment, you even forgot that you were mad. Some of the anger has dissipated. The flow of the negativity gets interrupted, slowed down, and so its force gets weaker or perhaps even completely extinguished. A regular practice of vipassana meditation, morning and evening, day in and day out, can help tremendously because impulsive urges get interrupted rather than mindlessly acted on. Trying harder or louder not to be impulsive doesn't work because the impulsive behavior is often not intentional and deliberate. The process is training yourself through observation and repetition over and over with the understanding and determination to pay attention to the sensations that underlie these impulses and to gain equanimity with them. Now, we've been discussing how vipassana can be an effective tool specifically with distractibility, low tolerance for frustration, insatiability, and low self-esteem, and impulsiveness. There are many more behavior characteristics that Vipassana is extremely helpful with, such as anxiety, anger, learned helplessness, disruptive behavior, overreactions, and stress. I won't address them in detail this afternoon, or else you might also be experiencing short attention span, (laughs) restlessness, or distractibility. There'll be time for questions later. Having established that Vipassana is so helpful, Should and could everyone with learning disabilities and ADD take Vipassana courses? I think not everyone, but most. First, there has to be motivation, self-motivation, and stability. By that, I mean some people are just too agitated, preoccupied, or distracted to focus enough in order to benefit. They might not be able to understand and follow instructions, or to contain themselves socially and within the course boundary. Some amount of balance and maturity is necessary for living in silence and harmony with others for 10 days. In addition, people must be able to maintain the ethical conduct, which is the foundation for the practice of vipassana. Now, we're often asked, does vipassana work for ADD? And this question is also asked to me frequently by prison staff, who are considering having a 10-day course at their facility. Will it work? If by work you mean that after one course at a jail, just for example, there'll be no more recidivism, no more violent outbursts, no more drug use, if by work you mean that people with ADD will have no more of the common symptoms and behavioral characteristics, the answer is is that a 10-day Vipassana course may only make a slight change in the habit pattern of the mind. But it goes to the root of the problem. As S. N. Goenka says, it is a beginning. And I think it's a very real and a very important beginning. Practicing Vipassana has brought tangible results. Recidivism in jail, drug and alcohol use, behavioral manifestations from ADD and learning problems, impulses, and reactions that cause suffering Have been reduced. People on the staff of the Seattle jail have been so pleased that they've now committed to having four 10-day vipassana courses a year there. And the eighth one ended yesterday morning. They report that those who've completed courses are calmer. These are staff members in the jail. They have more impulse control, that they're happier. Uh, residents who've completed the courses, and that they have better relationships with their families, better relationship with jail staff, and with each other, and that they participate more in other programs in the jail. So we can and we should expect very significant improvement, but not miracles. People make mistakes and start again. Expecting Vipassana to immediately and totally eliminate problems with impulse control, low tolerance for frustration, extreme agitation, and other characteristics of learning and attention difficulties is a misunderstanding. The student does the work by practicing Vipassana and gradually, personally, experiences tangible improvement. A jail resident with ADD expressed it very much like this upon completing a Vipassana course. He said, I never knew I could feel peaceful and quiet inside. I never knew I could feel any peace and quiet. I wish everyone in my family could see me. They wouldn't believe it was me. I want to hold on to the way that I feel today, but of course I know that I can't. Now, at the very least, I know this is possible for me, and I have a tool that I can work with. Many people with learning disabilities and ADD are able to develop greater clarity, calmness, insight, concentration, and to improve their ethics. Many people become wiser. Many people live happier lives. People can benefit very much. Thank you.